This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Really glad you're here. We have a ton of stuff to do today. Uh, let me scroll through my show notes here. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of um, Iliad and Odyssey. I want to talk about Hector and Achilles. We're going to talk about a little Seneca. We're going to talk about some cognitive dissonance, which explains uh, all of the hysteria that's going on right now amongst uh, friends, Facebook friends, coworkers, all the rest. Got to talk about all these hate crimes, so-called, going on all across the country that aren't really going on all across the country. Uh, I want to talk about Steve Bannon. I disagree with uh, my boss, uh, Glenn Beck, about Steve Bannon, or one part, one part of Steve Bannon. Um, and probably the best call to action so far comes from one of the greatest historians of our day, Victor Davis Hanson. His advice to Donald Trump uh, quotes Horace, a Roman poet from about the year 30. So we'll talk about that. We've got to talk about fear, what fear is. How it makes you make really, really bad decisions. How to overcome it. We've got lots to do. I want to start here, though. I want to start with someone else's show. Uh, (laughs) The Adam Carolla podcast. This was a couple days after the election. Maybe two, three days. He's on with Glenn Washington. So a little background. Adam Carolla is essentially conservative. Kind of. But he, he hates people who peddle the poison of the systems against me. Right? He hates that. Glenn Washington, his guest, has a show on NPR, got a, his undergraduate and law degree from Michigan. His wife is the vice mayor of Oakland. So they're pretty successful people. Now, Adam is vehemently against everything his guest, Glenn Washington, is saying here, but he's being very nice about it because it is, in fact, his guest. So I want to listen into a few minutes of this. Uh, this is about 10 minutes into their conversation about this where Glenn Washington is saying he's scared for his family because of Trump winning. He's scared for his children and his people. And Adam presses him a little bit. Uh, and then Glenn Washington kicks it up a notch. Now, out of all the hyperbole that we've heard this last, what, two weeks now, out of all the hyperbole, we're going to round up Muslims and put them in internment camps, like being the, one of the highest. This word takes the cake. Clip 1182, sir. 
what he's going to do to my to my world is he's going to hunt brown people. If there's going to actually be the uh, the deport deportation of the 12 million people that he was talking about in the first place, if you're going to say I'm going to get rid of all the Muslims in this country, I'm going to target you. I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you travel back and forth. That puts a chilling effect on every single brown person, whether or not he gets that one or not. That and th- that's my community. Those are my people. Those brown people that we're hunting that we're talking about. About, that we talk about so cavalierly um, are the, those are the people that that make up my world, and I do not, I can't abide a state that would hunt them and make sport of their of their suffering. I I personally don't think the presidents really ever get anything done, so I, that's they why try. I don't work. I know they, they try, they, but well, it what never I'm saying seemed, is they, they, they run on certain things, and they and they. I just like, that's why I don't worry about it. Oh, but that, Obama that ran being white. one of one of the. Yeah, I, I think I think white people get to get a get to um, not worry about a lot of stuff. But I think as well, like Obama, he was very, very serious about that Guantanamo thing. Brought it up just recently. Didn't get it done, but he tried. Do you think that Trump is not going to be the first hundred days to try to build this wall, to try to get rid of Obamacare? Did you catch the word in there? Hunt brown people? So now we're hunting brown people? This is... uh a natural escalation of some rhetoric that's been used the last year when it relates to the police officers, it's open season on black people. Do you remember that the last year, right? It's like for police officers, it's open season, right? Just shoot all the black people you see. It's open season. And now it's even more official than that. Now it's sport. Now we're hunting brown people for sport, according to this NPR host. This is a, uh, a dangerous, uh, a dangerous rhetoric. Because it scares people even more. If he was really concerned, genuinely concerned about people who are fearful, he'd do what uh, what Tom Hanks did the other day with his speech. Uh, he'd do what Oprah did the other day. She tweeted out something like, everybody take a deep breath, hope lives or something like that. Meaning it'll be okay. Now, she and Tom Hanks have been criticized for, for those messages. But if you're really worried about people's fears, you don't escalate them. I was talking about this on my local show. Someone called in, Angela, a black woman. Uh, She was 10 when Richard Nixon was elected president. Her mom told her that her family is going to be put into slavery because Richard Nixon was elected president. Her family is going to be put into slavery. She's 10. Angela's 10. She's hearing this from her mother. She took it literally. She was fearful every day that Richard Nixon, the president, would come and snatch her and her family away and put them in slavery. Okay. Now, eventually, when that did not happen, she realized that, uh, well, that was a lie and actually became a Republican at that point. But the point is, why are you scaring people unnecessarily? If my wife were scared to fly on an airplane... There's no way I would say, well, listen, honey, you're scared to fly today. And, um, well, you should be. Did you hear about that plane crash last week? Oh, it's bad. This one will probably crash too. Probably. A lot of planes have engine problems lately. Uh, they've been finding a bunch of them, but there's definitely more that they haven't found. I just read an article yesterday also about how pilots get drunk a lot before they fly the plane. You know what I mean? Wow. It's crazy. Uh, so your fear, really, it's super justified. You should be even more afraid than you are. Like, not helping. Not helping. 
a Marine called in uh, to my show and he said, Slater, fear makes people make bad decisions. Fear makes it so you don't see things for what they really are. 100% true. And I want to talk more about fear later. We'll go a little deeper into it. But fear also makes it very easy for you to be controlled. Hey, Flip, can we get 1186 ready? I want to play this clip here. We'll get back to Adam Kroll in a second. This is uh, Chamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's a Nigerian writer. Uh, she's on a BBC TV show. So, so it's her and then the female reporter and then some old white guy who's the editor of The Spectator website, a conservative website. Uh, I want to play the end of this. This, this is a four minutes into uh, the, the two women saying that the world is going to come to an end with no specifics. And then here's uh, one, of the, one of the good parts here, 1186. Because on the one hand, we're told that Trump's appeal is that he says what he thinks and he says it like it is and that sort of thing. Well, but isn't and then on the other hand, we're told that somehow he doesn't really mean it. So which is it? There's something very troubling about that. Um, I don't think that was the right clip. I'm sorry. I may have sent over the wrong time cues. That's my fault. Um, well, I think what I was looking for was when, um, we'll play it when we get back. Actually, no, it's even a distraction. Let me, let me go back around to it. Let's play 1183. I was bouncing out of order. That was my fault. Uh, let's do 1183 here. I don't feel that. Um, I think that there has been a, there's certainly a pendulum of American, uh, how would you say, uh, of, the, of the American ethos. But we, we're, we're outside the, the rubric of this. Um, George W. Bush, after 9-11, got in front of the, the towers and said things like, like these uh, um, uh, Muslim Americans should not be targeted. These are our brothers and sisters. George W. Bush, hated and despised by the left, got out and said that to, 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 about Muslim Americans. Can you imagine for an instant that type of, 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 of empathy being um, expressed from the highest office for um, Muslims after uh, an incident now? Are you, you know, Muslim, by the way? I'm not, but oh, I, 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 I am. I, you know, I've gone to circle. I kneel with the brothers. I have Muslim brothers and sisters. I, it's it's not um, academic to me what happens to that community. We we, the, we we've been passing this around for a long time. But yes, when you you can if you come for the for the for the other people, you we can, for so long we can say well, I, they came for the for the natives, but I was not a native. They came for the other brown people. Oh yeah, you get that right. So, did you catch what he did right there? All right, this is a classic technique. Here it is again, and we've been talking about this for weeks. It's the same thing every four years. This Republican is Hitler, okay? Whoever the Republican nominee is, they're always Hitler. But to make this guy seem worse, the guy who they called Hitler four years ago is now suddenly a moderate, sensible regular, sane Republican. The guy who they called Hitler four years ago, and I guarantee you in four years from now, Donald Trump will be a moderate, and the next guy is going to be Hitler as well. And here it is again with this guy praising George W. Bush. 
They do every four years. It's the same thing. Do you remember the Bill Maher clip? I think we have that one. 1187. Uh, this is Bill Maher a little bit ago. Kids, I've been doing this for 23 years on TV. I've seen a lot. I know politics. This is different. I promise you this will not make your life better. And also, once fascists get power, they don't give it up. You've got President Trump for life. I know liberals made a big mistake because we attacked your boy Bush like he was the end of the world, and he wasn't. And Mitt Romney, we attacked that way. I gave Obama a million dollars to throw freighter Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney wouldn't have changed my life that much, or yours, no, absolutely or John McCain. They were honorable men who we disagreed with, and we should have kept it that way. So we cried wolf, and that was wrong. But this is real. Yeah. This is going to be way different. Yeah. And I don't understand. Yeah, 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 I love it. Letting them, yeah, yeah, this one. Right, so the current guy's always Hitler. So to prove that, they have to walk back all the other Republicans that they called Hitler. Every four years, and that's what this Glenn Washington guy just did right there, right? George Bush, eight years ago, was the, at the same time, stupidest and most evil person to ever occupy the White House. Just Google George Bush and Hitler, and there's millions of pictures of Bush with Hitler mustaches and protests burning him in Nazi uniform effigies and all the rest. But today, oh, George Bush is the, the model of empathy towards Muslim Americans. What an honorable man he was. But this Republican... Every four years. I got to take a break here. I want to come back. And, and uh, Glenn Washington brings up the, uh, a bunch of things out of context, as always, as they all have to do. And I want to bring this all together because what you do is you get some people taking things out of context purposefully because they're not difficult to understand, but they purposely don't want to understand. And we'll explain why coming up a little later when we talk about cognitive dissonance, but they don't want to understand it. And then you have someone like this Glenn Washington guy pick that up and run with it to the crazy extreme of we're going to hunt brown people. This does not calm people down. This does not get people talking to each other in a productive way. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. If he says to us, for example, that a judge, a United States judge, is unable to judge him fairly because he is Mexican, that is racist. I'm sorry. This is Mike Slater. This is, uh, I want to play one last clip here from 
Adam Carolla's podcast. He has Glenn Washington on, who, keep in mind, got his law degree from Michigan. Uh, his wife is the vice mayor of Oakland, and he has a show on NPR. So a pretty successful guy uh, talking about white privilege and all this stuff. So um, this is clip 1184. That came for the other brown people. I was not one of them. One of one of these days, it's going to come for you. And this norm that we're we're allowing to Americans to target Americans like this—I don't know that we're allowing it. I mean, I, I we just voted for it. We, we I don't. Say, I don't, we, don't know that specifically. That's... You are a Mexican judge, therefore you do not have the right or the power to judge me because you're not. I don't care if you were born in Indiana. You're a Mexican, and you can you can use the term Mexican as a slur against a native-born person. Are we out of our goddamn minds? We have lost it when we sit and we slur people like that. We do it casually in the middle of a presidential contest, and no one calls him on it, and he wins with uh, a, 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 a grand majority of the white vote. I don't I think, feel I don't think he won because of a race thing. I think he won. I think he rode that horse. He, he doesn't have to speak. We used to, we, we've had a, a long history of speaking in, in um, dog whistles. Trump is too stupid to speak in it. He'll just say it. He'll just say exactly what it is. And if you say that about a Mexican person, if you if you if you use the term Mexican as a slur and call yourself the president of the United States, you're not my president. Mm, okay. So both of these people brought up the the judge thing again. I, I don't want to relitigate this entire nonsense because it's so stupid, but it's just a good example of how you take one little thing out of context and then run with it to what well, we're going to hunt brown people. Trump did not say that that judge can't be a judge because he's Mexican. He said he might be biased in the case against Trump because at the time Trump was talking a lot about building a wall and other issues that many Mexican-Americans, which he is, might agree with. So he was saying his personal bias, there might be a personal bias that would affect how he judges in the case. He did not say Mexicans can't be judges because they're genetically inferior and stupid and not fair and blah, 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 blah. No, it wasn't a slur to be a Mexican or Mexican-American, Mexican heritage. It wasn't a slur. It was a fact that because of certain context in the presidential election, he might be biased. I'll give you another example where we take race out of it because that gets a little more emotional. Let's say, so the judge was from Indiana. So let's say that Trump supported a policy and made it the center point of his presidential campaign to, uh, well, Indiana is the leading exporter of car parts. Okay, uh, So let's say, uh, Trump had a policy that really hurt the car industry, and this judge's family owned a muffler manufacturing company in Indiana. And uh, if Trump wins, then uh, they think it would really hurt the uh, the muffler industry and his and his dad's, his parents, his family's muffler industry. Uh, and then Trump has a case in this judge's courtroom. Do you think that's that wild of a proposition that this judge might have a bias? So Trump says, hey, this guy owns a muffler store, owns a muffler factory. His family owns a muffler factory. I think he might be biased against me. Is that a slur? Is, is owning muffler stores now a slur? No, it's proof of potential bias. That's it. That's all. That's not that crazy. They have recusals for a reason. This is not hard to understand, but it will never be understood by people like Glenn Washington because they don't want to understand it because they feel better peddling this false fear to people.
And we'll talk about cognitive dissonance maybe in the next hour. If they can't be in charge because their team didn't win, then they have to be the ultimate victim. And not just a little bit of victim, but we're hunting brown people. (laughs) That's unbelievable. We're hunting brown people. We're rounding up Muslims and putting them in internment camps. I mean, this is a crazy, out-of-control hysteria. And coming up a little later, I want to talk about how this is causing way more damage than a Trump presidency ever dreams of doing or, or could do. Especially when people say that suicide rates are going up. Or a lot of people are committing suicide because of, uh, because of a Trump presidency. That is very, very dangerous and irresponsible behavior. So we got a lot to do. Um, I want to play one last clip of Adam Carolla. I lied. I'm sorry. Um, this is about the white privilege part. The left has been setting up what they're doing now for a couple of years now with white privilege. White privilege has been a thing for about 10 years. It's been a concept uh, that they've defined. For about 10 years they've been pushing this. Now, the art of the attack is very old. It's an old Marxist idea called false consciousness. Uh, but they laid a groundwork here. So now this is in the common language usage. Um, and they say this explains why Trump is winning. Hence, the Klan and David Duke is everywhere. Like, how, how is this? What, what, what is going on? We're going to make sense of it so you can see it when it's happening and then dismiss it properly like it deserves. We'll do that next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. One last clip I want to play here from Adam Carolla's podcast. Again, he's with Glenn Washington, who has a show on NPR, uh, a law degree. His wife is the vice mayor of Oakland, so she's on the city council uh, of Oakland. So things are pretty good for, for the Washington family. Uh, but here he is talking to Adam Carolla about white privilege, 1185. And I'm hoping that uh, this country is good enough that uh, we wouldn't let any of this happen. I th- uh, and I'm, I do believe that. But uh, uh, again, again, I'm, I, I like I, I love I love some of that privilege. I want a big, big cup of privilege to take home with. I me. don't have any privilege. Adam doesn't have any privilege. Not not wasn't born into any of it. Adam. Yes. I'm not going to say that you were born with a silver foot in your mouth like Trump was or the, or the, or the son of a billionaire. But there is a white privilege in this country and you have it. You get it. Congratulations. Well, I got as little of it as, as you can have. It's a thing I'll you can, it it's, that a, way, it's great. That's great. I mean, I'm not, it's not a bad thing to get the privilege. It's not a bad thing to have it. But the, the bad thing is to say, I don't, I don't know what this stuff is. I've never seen it before. It's never helped me. Well, it didn't help me. Being white poor never helped you. No, I don't, I don't believe it has really impractically. No. I mean, I, I can I, go through my journey, but I don't, I don't see a, a point, a juncture where it actually did. 
But that was my, I had a journey that was a little different than, you know, most people. I'd say maybe I, I, most I, I, white people. I've got to, I got to listen to your podcast a lot. I know a lot about your journey, but I could, the idea that whiteness is, did not um, ever help you along the way is just an interesting, I mean, I, I think that most I, it, apparently, right now, the most white people believe the same thing. Well, I got the- I got into fields. I mean, honestly, I got into carpet cleaning, which was some white people and some Hispanic. Then I got into construction, and that was mostly Hispanic with some white people. Then I became a boxing coach, which was black mostly and some white. And then I got into comedy. But I never really had a field. I never went through a corporate world. I was penalized one time when I tried to get a job as a fireman, and they weren't hiring me because I was white. So I had a little setback in the white privilege department for the uh, L.A. Fire Department. But uh, this is your world. That's my world. This is the. But this is a white world. The the levers of power right now. Or I want to go talk to white looking, people later on today. But personally, I didn't get any if you skin go to make a color movie, hand up. If you go to make right, a we movie, can stop there, go to make so, a show. Go to, for the la- we can stop. So for the last uh, 10 years or so, they've been peddling this uh, white poison nonsense. Now, the art of this attack is, is very old. It's a, it's a Marxist tactic. It's called false consciousness. Consciousness. Uh, and it says basically that you can't comment on this particular thing because you're not in that group. So, for instance, I can't talk about how to improve the inner city because I'm white. Now, let's go another step back. Where did this come from? This came back. This came from the progressive principle that there's no such thing as objective truth. Everything's relative. So, let's start from the beginning. I believe in the fundamental objective truth that it's better for children to have two parents in the home. Now, as Matt Chandler says, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. So if there's a death in the family or uh, someone's fighting in the military or there's a necessary divorce or whatever, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. But the ideal is mom, dad, kids, foundational objective truth. Now, progressives will come back and say, well, that's not necessarily true. Okay, so we've destroyed the objective truth part. So they'll support policies then that that hurt the family, that erode the family, that encourage a culture of sleeping around, absent fathers, et cetera, et cetera. Crimes go up because kids join gangs because they're looking for a stable family, looking for role models. Drug use goes up, more black people in prisons, more out-of-wedlock children. The cycle goes on and on and on. So I, white guy, come in and I say, hmm, we should focus on strengthening the family. And encouraging men to be fathers in their kids' lives. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you can't comment on this. Now, instead of them saying, you're wrong and here's why. Because you can't argue that it's wrong. They don't say that. They say, no, 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 oh, you can't even talk about this. You have white privilege. You don't understand. That is false consciousness. Because I, do you see what it is? Like I, they say I can't understand because I'm not in that group. But I say that's nonsense. I can understand because I believe in objective truth, and it is objectively true that insert whatever objective truth is 
the issue of the moment, right? Um, right. So, so, so your identity, your group, your class consciousness doesn't matter because whatever I'm arguing for is true. But if you don't believe in objective truth, then, uh, you can make this ridiculous argument. Now, again, they won't argue the specifics of the point. They'll just say, you can't even comment. That's false consciousness. And we can play this game on any topic you want. And this is why the anti-Trump hysteria will never completely go away. It won't completely go away. Because a lot of people of influence, mostly within the college bubble, have staked their lives on keeping this myth alive, this white privilege myth. And now Trump has come up as the ultimate boogeyman for them to point to. No matter what you say, you can be shut down with white privilege. Now they can say... Well, Trump, we're scared because Trump's going to round up Muslims and put them in internment camps. And you say, well, no, what? No, no, no one's going to do that. Oh, you don't understand the fear because of your white privilege. <laughs> like, wait, what? Now, the worst part about white privilege is uh, it sends a message to kids who aren't white that they can't make it, which is total nonsense. Just look at the man po- uh, peddling this poison on the Adam Carolla show. Black man, very popular on NPR. His wife's the vice mayor of Oakland. He's telling you, you can't make it. That is very destructive. I don't want to take an early break here, Flip. Uh, I want to come back and talk about cognitive dissonance. Uh, This explains everything. This explains all the outrage, all the hysteria from your friends. If, If you've ever, if you've lost friends over this, you've hurt relationships in your family over this election. And you're like, what is wrong with people? This is why cognitive dissonance. I will explain it next. Mike Slater show the blaze radio network spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the blaze radio network. stand and deliver that state of the union address in no part of your mind or brain can you imagine donald trump standing up one day and delivering a state of the union address well i can imagine it uh in a saturday night skit i continue to believe mr trump will not be president he will never be president of the united states donald trump will never be elected president of the united states now donald trump is not going to become president of the United States. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. However respectful of the fact that the people have not voted, he's not going to be president of the United States. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Let's be clear. Donald Trump will lose the election. I have one thing to say, one thing only. And that is that this race is over. I think Donald Trump will be the nominee and will lose badly. No one's going to be happier than President Obama when Trump loses. No one, except for me. I think that Donald Trump's campaign is over. Like it's a zombie, right? Like it's a walking dead. It's not, there's nowhere for him to go. And the fact that most people think Donald Trump is going to lose probably means Donald Trump is going to lose. (laughs) When the inevitable happens, which is a very substantial 
landslide victory on November 8th. And we need, when this race is over, to talk about why that was. I, I personally think this race is over. To me, this race is over. Politico's latest survey of political insiders agrees, quote, Clinton will crush Trump in November. Well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. So, I got five minutes here. I want to explain why there's so much hate hysteria from uh, from the country. So, it, it's cognitive dissonance. Um, simply defined, cognitive dissonance is when you have two contradictory beliefs at the same time. So, if you believe two things, but they conflict with each other, then then you you experience cognitive dissonance. This happens in our lives often. And when it does, we become very uncomfortable and we do crazy things to make it right. Now, once you understand this, and I'm going to do the best I can to describe it in five minutes and 48 seconds. Once you understand it, then you don't have to listen to any other analysis about why people are protesting. It accounts for 99.8% of people that are hysterical. So cognitive means um, it's the process of learning. And dissonance is, it means uh, tension. It actually was first a musical term for when two notes don't, don't match. They're not in tune with each other. So beliefs, right? Cognitive, like how you learn, things you know, cognitive dissonance, they don't match. That's what it means. So the ch- classic example of this is an Aesop fable of the fox and the grapes. The fox loves grapes. So that's belief number one. The fox loves grapes. So then he's walking around and he comes across a a bunch of grapes hanging from a tall branch. And he says, I want those grapes. So belief number one, I love grapes. Belief number two, I want those grapes. So he tries to get the grapes, but he can't reach them. So we have some dissonance here, right? Again, belief A is I want the grapes. Belief B is I, I want those grapes, but I can't have them. So something's got to give. So the fox can do one of two things. He can either change belief A, which is I love grapes, and he could say, well, you know what? I never really liked grapes anyway. Or he can change belief number or belief B, which is, well, I never wanted those grapes anyway. They're probably sour grapes. And that's actually where we get the term sour grapes. Right? So he can change one of the two things. I'll give you another more relevant example. Uh, thought A is I am uh, very, uh, very uh, thrifty with my money. I'm very good with my money. I don't waste money. And then thought B is I want to buy a new big screen TV. Okay, well, those are in direct conflict with each other. So you can change one of the two things. You can either say you can change your belief A, which is I'm very thrifty with my money into, well, it's important to splurge on important things now and again, right? Or you could change belief B, which is I want that new TV into I don't want that new TV, right? So you can change either one of those things to be consistent. So does that make sense? That's cognitive dissonance. When you have two beliefs held at the same time that are in conflict with each other. And when that happens, we get uncomfortable and we have to change one of the two beliefs to be in in sync. So, Let's explain everyone in the media that you just heard. Let's explain all the pundits, Hillary supporters, all the rest. Belief A is I am super smart and well-informed. 
And because I'm so smart, I have determined that Trump is obviously the next Hitler. Okay, that's belief A. Belief B is, well, half the American people, including a lot of smart people, including a lot of people I know and trust and love, voted for Donald Trump. So these things don't make sense because belief A is he's Hitler. I'm super smart and he's Hitler. And belief B is half the American people voted for him. So these two things need to be reconciled in people's minds. Something's got to give. Now, the Hillary supporter, the media, they, they could say, wow, geez, maybe, maybe I'm not so smart. Maybe I'm not as smart as I believed. But no one's going to change that opinion of themselves, right? That would require humility, and no one wants to, to change that belief. So what they do instead is change the second belief. Now, if the first belief is I'm super smart and I've concluded that Trump is Hitler, the second belief changes to half the American people voted for him and they know he's Hitler. And they voted for him anyway. Right? If belief A is I've concluded he's Hitler, then belief B is to make it simpatico. Belief B has been changed to everyone else thinks he's Hitler too and still voted for him. Which makes him a monster too. And this is where you get comments like, I don't even know what country I'm in anymore. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what is wrong with everyone. Like, you get like crazy overreactions like that. I don't even know you anymore. That's where you get unfriending people online and all this crazy outrage because people have to come to the conclusion in their brain that half the American people know he's Hitler, just like I do, right? Like, if you're, if you're a Hillary supporter, you have come to the determination that he is Hitler. So if everyone else voted for him, then they must know he's Hitler too. And that's crazy. This is Scott Adams. He says, in a rational world, it would be obvious that Trump supporters include a lot of brilliant and well-informed people. That fact, as obvious as it would seem, is invisible to the folks who can't even imagine a world in which their powers of perception could be so wrong. So to reconcile their world... They have to imagine all Trump supporters as defective in some moral or cognitive way or both. That's cognitive dissonance. It explains it all. Some of it will go away with time. And that is up to us to prove people with this hysterical beliefs, to prove them very, very wrong, not in our words, but in our actions. And I'm up for the challenge. I know you are too. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, because America's the greatest country in the world. Um, we got a, a lot more to do. I want to get right to this. Uh, I had a call on my local show on Monday from a Marine. We were talking about a lot of the hysteria going on, as we've alluded to this last hour. Uh, I want to talk more specifics. Well, should we, should we do the specifics first? 
Yeah, we should probably do specifics first, just so we're all on the same page. All right, let, let's do that. And then I want to talk about fear. So what I don't want this show to become is the let's debunk every crazy myth that the left makes up show. Because that's just a waste of time. Um, but But I do feel like in a time of heightened emotions... There's a lot more of this going on, and I want to make sure you don't start believing it, or at least you have a healthy amount of cynicism when you hear things like this. It's very easy to hear something on TV, or not even that, read something on the internet, and assume it's true. And it's been amazing this last, what, two weeks, how easily someone can read something online, take it as gospel, and then parrot it as if it's truth. It's really, it's really interesting. I watched the 30 for 30 documentary about Duke lacrosse. It's called fantastic lies. You definitely have to watch it. And it's just amazing how the, the accusation was made and everyone straight out of the gate. was like, Oh yeah, definitely, definitely happened. Never happened. And there's many other examples like that, but we are so quick to believe and coming up, I want to talk about the Steve Bannon accusation that he's an anti-Semite. I've had friends of mine say they like, no, I like support Trump or whatever. And they're like, uh, oh, well, you can't possibly support Steve Bannon. Uh, I'm like, well, why not? He's like, oh, notorious anti-Semite. I was like, <laughs> what? Where'd you hear that? Oh, I read it. Okay. Well, the, the websites you read that said he's an anti-Semite, did they give any, any evidence? Well, yeah. I mean, everyone knows. Everyone knows. It's notorious. Notorious anti-Semite. <laughs> Come on. You read it somewhere is not proof. So, the Trump-inspired crime wave going across America, it's not happening. It's not happening. One of our listeners is actually a college student at University of Louisiana Lafayette. And he sent over the story of a female student who was beaten, robbed, had her hijab ripped off by two men who were yelling stuff about Donald Trump and go back where you come, came from and all that. Uh, never happened. Never happened. A guy uh, in Santa Monica, a gay man, said he was beaten up by a group of Trump supporters. Uh, police say there's no report of that ever happening. There's stories of Klan rallies being held across the country. Klu Klux Klan rallies, which, by the way, the the, uh, Anti-Defamation League, which has an incentive to exaggerate the number of Klan members, says there's 3,000 Klan members across the country. Yet all I hear is that a lot of Trump supporters are Klan members. A lot of them? Like 50 million people voted for Trump. There's 3,000 Klan members. A lot of... So there's all these Klan rallies. But don't listen to that if there's... demand to see a picture no one took a picture of the clan rally that's going on oh well, here's a picture so i saw a picture that they're sending around as a picture of a clan rally uh, it was a picture taken about eight years ago it was actually at a tea party rally and it was taken from so far away with a phone from eight years ago it's all grainy and you can't really see what it is or what the flags are or anything but it, you know, oh yeah it's a clan rally going on it's not a clan rally. it was a tea party gathering I think one of my favorite is uh, Sean King, who's one of the biggest uh, poison peddlers today in the social justice world. He tweeted out a picture. This is the day after the election, and it says white students at Southern Illinois University decided to put on blackface and pose in front of a Confederate flag to celebrate Trump. And obviously, oh man, what a what a racist country we live in. 
Uh, well, the picture was taken before the election. Uh, the Confederate flag is actually ripped in half because the student who hung it up is against the Confederate flag. And she's not wearing blackface. It's a skin exfoliating mask. But all Trump supporters are racist. You may have seen a picture of a Nazi flag flying from a house in San Francisco. Uh, this is the day after the election. Someone in San Francisco put a Nazi flag hanging from the flagpole on the roof of his house. Oh my gosh, look at that. Nazis coming out of the woodwork. Uh, it turns out this guy put up that flag because he hates Trump. And he was making a statement comparing Trump to Nazis. Not that he supports Nazis. This is the San Francisco Gate headline. San Francisco's homeowner's Nazi flag protest of Trump backfires. No kidding. He's since replaced the flag with the gay pride flag. There's also a ton of stuff on Facebook like my friend's sister, my roommate's cousin, my neighbor's coworker, <laughs> right? Like, be careful of stories that start like that. One woman said, um, not even 24 hours yet, my friend's sister, who's a Muslim, had a knife pulled on her by a Trump supporter while on a bus on campus. So on that Facebook post, the campus police wrote, this has not been reported to police. Please encourage that person to give us a call. <laughs> Meaning it never happened. Someone wrote on Facebook that she was attacked by a group of men at a gas station. Saying all these horrible things. One of them said, I should kill you right now. You're a waste of air. Racist slang, all the rest. She wrote about it, her experience on Facebook. And then she deleted it. And she wrote, charges were filed. Fugitives were caught. And then the local police department wrote back, uh, no files were charged, were charged, and there's no incident of this happening. Stories like that all over. I was talking to a uh, friend of mine at church. He's four, 13, 14. Student of color. I was like, hey, how's school going, man? He's like, oh, it was a crazy week. A lot of kids making jokes about, you know, deporting people and all that stuff. I said, jokes. He's like, oh, yeah, everyone's joking around. Now, as an adult, I'm saying, well, you know, it's not a very funny joke, but this kid's like Indian or whatever. Like he, like he, one of the deported, one of the deportables. And he's like, ah, that's funny. It's a joke. All right. So it's an immature joke, but there's not massive hate crimes going around in our middle schools around the country. And I promise you that most of the spray painting of Nazi symbols are people writing it themselves just to prove how many Nazi symbols there are all over the place. I think one of the worst examples I've seen, and you can choose your favorite of all these stories, is our local paper here in San Diego. Uh, The headline was 40% increase in hate crimes countywide. 40% increase in hate crimes. And on the, the article, they had a picture of a mosque. So obviously this insinuates a few things this insinuates that first of all there's a lot of hate crimes uh it insinuates that the 40 percent increase of hate crimes is against muslims why would you print the article this week of any other time you could report numbers from 2015 why would you do it this week here's the truth always be wary and we say this all the time always be wary of any argument any article that says there's a 40 percent increase of something without And they don't give you the actual number of the thing. Okay. Always be careful of that. 
how many hate crimes in San Diego County do you think there were last year? San Diego County has 3.7 million people. Our county has a larger population than 26 states. Okay, So it's a big county, 3.7 million people, uh, larger than about 20, 25, 26 states. Uh, how many hate crimes? Uh, 10. 10. All year. 10 hate crimes. Oh, but Slater went up 40%. Yeah. To 14. Okay. We went from 10 to 14. I know, but the anti-Muslim bigotry is out of control. Well, actually, 60% of hate crimes based on religion are against Jews. 14% are against Muslims. So why didn't our local paper put a picture of a synagogue? Because they want you to think that all these crimes are against Muslims when they're not. So if you go by nationwide averages, then what? Eight eight of the hate crimes committed in San Diego County last year were against Jews. Two were against Muslims. Right, but no article is going to give that proper perspective. Wildly irresponsible for a newspaper to, to print that article like that without giving the facts in it. Now hold on. Some people have done bad things. Said bad things. Written bad things. Yelled bad things. Both ways, by the way. Against Trump reporters, Trump supporters, Trump supporters have said bad things. Passions are inflamed. Which is kind of my point to the people who are throwing gas on the fire. Cut it out. You're making it worse. And trying to paint this picture that we are in an evil, racist country. And all Trump supporters are racist and evil. Uh, you are making it worse. You are scaring people. You are putting fear into people unnecessarily and into kids as well. All right, I want to talk about fear next. 1-888-900-3393. My point is just, just have a healthy amount of cynicism when you uh, hear of stuff like this. Oh, let's improve. Uh, one last quick example. Sorry, one of our local school districts here, the superintendent sent out an email to uh, or a letter to parents and teachers and students uh, talking about the rise of hate crimes on campus without giving any even uh, any specifics at all. And I don't want the, chi- the children's names. It's obviously of confidentiality, but no even incident type. No, nothing. No, like not even was it a fight? Was it graffiti? Was it was it what? Like we have no. Was it words? Like what are we even talking about? Nope. Just. Ginning up some fear. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. So we have adults ginning up fear in our country and in kids. Why? To go back to our segment two segments ago about cognitive dissonance, to make themselves feel good. It's it's to prove themselves right. That's the key with cognitive dissonance. They they people will not admit that they were wrong or that they lost. So they have to prove themselves right. Now about what? They have to prove themselves right that that Trump is Hitler. So everything Trump does from this point forward will be him being Hitler. Told you so. 
Now, everything that proves he's not Hitler, we're just going to ignore that. But everything that proves he's Hitler, now, even if it doesn't, well, we're going to make it so it does. Because I have to be proven right. Now, we're going to gin up fear. We're going to lie. We're going to take things out of context. But whatever it takes, I am going to prove myself right. Even if it means ginning up unnecessary fear in our country, I'm doing it because it feels good. That's what it's about. Got a phone call from a Marine the other day. He says, Slater, fear is, is very dangerous. Fear makes you see things not as they are. Fear makes you uh, make very bad decisions. Daily Beast, fear has won. We are all scared. Which is weird because it wasn't too long ago when a Democrat said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But now it's, it's game on with the fear mongering. I want to read this comment here. This is from Ann Althaus's blog. Comment, this guy's name is Larry. He said, I know something of fear. Back in 1976, I was a young paratrooper getting ready for my eighth jump. Something bad happened on my previous jump. I narrowly avoided being seriously injured. Now, waiting for my next jump, my imagination kicked into hyperdrive. We boarded the plane and climbed, heading for the drop zone. Soon after the six minutes call, we were told to stand up. We went through the drill, hook up, check static line, check equipment, sound off for equipment check. And then we waited. My fear was building on itself. And I briefly considered unhooking and sitting down. That would have been the end of me as a paratrooper. I looked ahead to the door and saw my battalion commander at the head of the line. He was eager to go. And in that moment, he taught me the true meaning of leadership. He got me to do more than I thought I was capable of doing. The green light came on. The jump master gave the order and we all went out the door. And once again, it was fun again. Fear builds on itself. If you let it, you have to be its master or it will dominate you. Perhaps some of these snowflakes truly are afraid of Trump. Perhaps they've believed the exaggerations and created some of their own, letting their fear build like compound interest. They can give in to their fears or they can learn to face them. Now, of course, there are those who benefit from sowing fear in others. Whether it's the latest doomsday prophecy or, as in this case, fear-mongering to gain political power, they're the arsonists lighting fear's fires. What you do with them is up to you. I know we've talked a lot about Adam Carolla today, but I remember he tells a story of um, his agent calling him up, asking him if he wanted to do Dancing with the Stars. Now, Adam Carolla knows that he's an awful dancer. Awful, awful, terrible dancer. So the moment that he w- it was suggested to him that he could be on Dancing with the Stars, he was paralyzed with fear. Just top to bottom, head to toe, in his soul, terrified about doing the show. And he knew, because he's never felt that feeling in his entire life, paralyzed with fear like that. He knew that he had to do it. He had to do it. And he said yes. If it was something that he was okay at, and it's like, ah, well, whatever, fine. But because he was scared, he had to overcome it.
I wonder if we live in a culture that teaches kids. Oh, by the way, Adam Carolla was terrible at dancing and did awful on the show. But he did it. I wonder if we live in a culture that teaches kids to face their fears. Or do we live in a culture that takes fears away so kids don't have to face anything? To relate it to the Trump hysteria, uh, the education secretary said a statement, colleges must protect all students. Now, when he says this, he doesn't really mean all students because for every made-up story of a Trump supporter being rude, I can show you actual police reports of Trump supporters being attacked. And there's no interest in protecting these kids. I guarantee you that. But this is a very interesting phenomenon going on. The government, right? The Secretary of Education, Federal Department, Federal federal Government, right? Has decided to come to the aid of people, students, who feel something. I mean, listen, no, one, no one's being attacked. And if they are, then that's one thing, but it's very rare. This is about students who feel sad or feel vulnerable. Now, these feelings can be completely without any basis in reality at all. I know there's someone listening out that's saying, well, Slater, you know, Muslim students are afraid they're going to get rounded up and put in internment camps. Well, why? And what's the proper role of meeting that fear with, with compassion and love and, and coddling? Because if you, if you, if you, right, like that, like that's not true. That fear you have is not true. It'd be like the paratrooper saying, well, you know, maybe my, uh, my parachute is packed with, uh, baked beans instead of an actual parachute. Like, no, like that's an irrational fear. But the goal now in our education system is to make sure no one is made to feel bad or sad, no matter how irrational. That's not healthy. I, I got to take a break here. I want to come back and, and talk about Seneca. Uh, he wrote this uh, in like the year 50. He said, there are more things likely to frighten us than things that are likely to crush us. We suffer more often in imagination than in reality. There's more to it, but I'll, I'll do the rest next. And that's what's going on right now. And I don't think, I don't think it's because of Trump. I think the election of Donald Trump has exposed a very dangerous weakness in our millennial generation where exaggerated and irrational fears crippled them. What will they do when there's an actual threat or something they encounter is something that they should actually be scared of? What are they going to do then? I'll talk Seneca next. He gave some advice 2,000 years ago. I think it's still relevant now. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze, Radio Network, spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on The Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. So it's 2,000 years ago, Seneca talking to uh, Lucilius, who's his, uh, his buddy, about uh, life. And, and he's writing this letter about groundless fears. Now you can determine whether or not 
this is relevant to uh, what's going on right now. But uh, if I was a teacher, instead of coddling my students, I would teach them uh, a little bit of this. So uh, I want to start off with this just because actually, you know, you've heard this before. If you were here a couple weeks ago when I did that uh, speech at the church, uh, I used this line right here. Um, no prize fighter can go with high spirits into the strife, into the fight, if he's never been beaten black and blue. The only contestant who can confidently enter the fight is the man who has seen his own blood, who has felt his teeth rattle beneath his opponent's fist, who's been tripped and felt the full force of his opponent's charge, who's been downed in body but not in spirit, one who as often as he falls rises again with greater defiance than ever. For manliness gains much strength by being challenged. I just like that line. So this is the same letter. Okay. Um, and I think this is the part that's more relevant today. There are more things, Lucilius, likely to frighten us than there are things that will crush us. We suffer more often in imagination than in reality. Accordingly, similarly, some things that torment us, excuse me, some things torment us more than they ought to. Some things torment us before they should. And some torment us when they should not torment us at all. We are in the habit of exaggerating or imagining or anticipating sorrow. So do me a favor. When men surround you, and try to talk you into believing that you are unhappy. Consider not what you hear, but what you yourself feel. And take counsel with your feelings and question yourself independently because you know your own affairs better than anyone else does. Yes, my dear Lucilius, we agree too quickly with what people say. Quick timeout. Perfect example of what's going on right now with Trump and all the hysteria. How many people have you read on Facebook, you see friends on Facebook or you talk to a conversation or say stuff like, oh, he's going to deport everyone, deport brown people, round them up, hunt brown people, put uh, Muslims in internment camps or whatever, or even, or even something like less benign, like uh, overturn uh, the gay marriage ruling or something like that. And you're like, well, where, where'd you read that? Oh, I heard it. Uh, Seneca said 2000 years ago, we agree too quickly. With what people say. People don't take. The effort. To find the truth. Let me go on Seneca. He says we do not put to the test. Those things which cause our fear. We do not examine them. We blench and retreat. Blench is like flinch. We flinch and retreat. Just like soldiers. Who are forced to abandon their camp. Because of a dust cloud raised by stampeding cattle. I love that line, right? So imagine you're, you're a soldier and uh, you see a bunch of a, a big dust cloud away in the distance and you're like, oh, it must be the invading army. We must retreat. And it turns out just to be uh, a stampede of whatever, right? And we, we panic. Uh, we're thrown into panic by the spreading of some unauthenticated rumor. There is, this is why no fear is so ruinous. And so uncontrollable as panic fear. I will stop there. So 
when people say you should be afraid of something, instead of taking their word for it, which everyone seems to be doing, oh yeah, he will round up Muslims. Just ask yourself, is this something? And this again, if I was a teacher, I'd be telling my kids because you've seen, you've heard audio, right, of of sixth grade teachers, middle school teachers telling kids, uh, oh yeah, they're gonna split up your families, they're gonna deport all your families if you have a skin color, blah blah blah, all this stuff, right? That's that's wildly irresponsible. A teacher should say, students, is this something you're afraid of? Or tell me what you're afraid of. And they'll say, and then we'll say, okay, well, should we? Should we be afraid of this? Okay. Um, I'll give you an example because we talked about this earlier in the show. Uh, we played two clips. Someone on BBC and someone on Adam Kroll's podcast, both hate Trump, both said, when you claim that someone can't be a judge because they're of Mexican heritage and you use the word Mexican as a slur, you're not my president, right? They both said that. So if someone, a student brought that up and I was a teacher, I'd say, well, all right, well let's go back to what Trump actually said. N- not what other people told you he said. Not how other people interpreted what he said. Let's go back to what he actually said. And let's not analyze from a frightened mind. As Seneca said, don't, don't get caught up in an unauthenticated rumor. Go back to the source and determine yourself if you feel like you should be scared we agree too quickly with what people say right so i wish adults would encourage kids and other adults to get to the bottom of the truth search for the truth don't exaggerate the fears When kids say, oh, he's going to deport me. Say, all right, well, let's find out where he said this. Get to the bottom of the truth. And when we do that 99% of the time, the fear will go away. Because when we get wrapped up in the fear, as this Marine said, as the, the paratrooper said earlier, our imagination goes wild. And it builds on itself like compound interest. And adults should be here to calm fears, not fan them. And I feel like there's too much of that going on. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater okay one last segment we'll wrap up this uh this argument then i want to talk about victor davis hansen's uh recommendation for donald trump moving forward victor davis hansen one of the greatest great uh historians of our day um the fear right why people are are increasing the fear unnecessarily irrational fears uh, there's a political purpose to this, but but it's also uh, very, very dangerous. Have you ever read the book Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, I like Malcolm Gladwell a lot. This book's about how things spread. How do things spread, whether diseases or ideas? And there's a chapter in the book about uh, an epidemic of teenage suicide in Micronesia. Now, obviously, I can only give you the very short of this, uh, but... 
particularly in the 70s and 80s, teenagers in, in this small, uh, uh, small country were killing themselves in the same way. And, and it was almost like there was a suicide bug. And, and every time there was a suicide, it would, it would spark more suicides a, a day or two later. Very odd. And, and there was a pattern to it. Freakonomics did a study on this. They said in 2009, there were 16,000 homicides, but the same year there were 36,000 suicides. So there are twice as many suicides, but you don't hear about suicides as often as homicides right now. Now, part of that is because homicides are scarier, right? Homicides could happen to you unknowingly. So that's part of it. But also newspapers don't talk about suicides. Newspapers don't write about suicides. Because it's been proven that if you glorify suicide, then it leads to copycat suicides, which I know sounds wild, but it's true. The main researcher on this is a sociology professor where I live, UC San Diego. And they found that they studied suicides um, for decades. They went back in newspaper records and death records for decades. And they found that whenever there was a noteworthy suicide in history... Noteworthy, meaning one that made news. Then for the next two months, there was a 10% spike in the number of suicides. And they would compare that month with the month the year before and the month the year after as the controls to see that there was a spike um, in the month after someone famous committed suicide, say. One last example. In Vienna, 1983, there was a jumper on a subway, right? He committed suicide by jumping in front of a subway train. Newspaper made big, splashy headlines about it. And the next year, there were 13 jumpers in front of the subway train. And every time, they would make more headlines after every suicide. The next year, there were 11 suicides. Finally, the Australian Association of Suicide told the press to tone it down. Stop using the word suicide. Don't show pictures of grieving relatives. Don't go out on these, these glamorous-ish details. And they stopped. The press stopped. And the next year, there were no subway suicides. So why, why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with um, Trump and, and the hysteria around him? Zach Stafford is a writer at The Guardian. He's the editor of Out Magazine. It's a gay magazine. And he wrote on Twitter, this is the day after the election, that there's been a spike in suicides from transgender teenagers because of Trump being elected president. There's been a spike in suicides. Now, why did he do this? He did this to scare you, to scare conservatives, um, to, to say, we're serious Look how scared we are. Transgender kids are killing themselves because we are so scared. Now, that tweet he sent out no longer exists. Why? Because there is no spike in suicide. There's no evidence of it at all. And he even wrote another tweet. He said, currently, there's a fear of suicide contagion due to social media. So the idea here is that he says there's a spike in transgender teenagers killing themselves and transgender teenagers will read that and then also want to be a part of the phenomenon, be a part of the hysteria and kill themselves as well to make a statement, right? Trump is dangerous. Look how dangerous he is. Now there's a list of names that are circulating of 10 transgendered uh, people who killed themselves because of Donald Trump. Chastity Rose, 19, sister, friend, heart of gold talented she could sing anything murdered by the donald trump movement kyla reeves 13 girl with a trans brother 
felt it was necessary to take her own life so that her brother could have his transition after her parents told her that because of this election, they can only afford to focus on one child's transition. I, I, mean, I have no idea. I, 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 Tyler Morgan, 16, took his own life after being told to do so by his community, a town full of white supremacists and Trump supporters. Madigan Lavarez, transgender woman of Latin descent, a communist revolutionary activist. It goes on and on and on, right? So Elizabeth Brown of, of Reason.com researched all of these names. No Twitter profiles, no Facebook pages, no Tumblr pages, no marriage records, no white page listings, nothing. No obituaries, no funeral articles, no local news stories, no mention of these deaths at all. Actually, no proof that any of these people even exist. So I'm concluding that it's completely made up. How can anyone even have a list of 10 transgendered people and a short bio on each of them a day after the election when they supposedly killed themselves? Yet no, no coverage at all. And I don't even like news coverage, like no Facebook, nothing of, of all 10 of the people. But people are sharing like, like it's gospel. Transgender kids killing themselves. Now again, why is this a problem? Because transgender kids might actually kill themselves after reading about the glorification of other transgender kids who killed themselves, even though that original list never even happened. Now, if that happens, if a transgender kid actually kills himself to be a part of this movement, Donald Trump is not to blame for that. I am not to blame for that. You are. You are glorifying it in the first place. So the hysteria and the hyping up of it is very dangerous. And really, it serves no other purpose than to make Hillary supporters feel better about themselves, to prove themselves right in a sick and twisted way. Because they told themselves a long time ago that Trump was Hitler. They can't back down from that. They have, they, he, Trump has to be Hitler, no matter what. Even if it means completely making stuff up. There's no reason for adults to be telling children they need to be scared of anything at all. Not at all. Now to bring it back to what we kicked the show off with, this, this, don't give me any nonsense about white privilege. It has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with reality. No one's hunting brown people. Literally, th- th- that word. People are using that word. People of significance. Glenn Washington, NPR. Hunting brown people. I mean, that rhetoric is causing hysteria, which causes people to be fearful, which causes people to act irrationally. Not only that, it causes people to counterreact irrationally. And then the pressure builds and builds. To the point where Trump on 60 Minutes, what, last Sunday, said he's, you know, wall, but, you know, also a fence. And, you know, whatever it takes, you know, to just to secure our borders. I got a fence. There's a fence. The border fence is 30 miles from where I'm sitting right now in San Diego. And he said he's going to deport illegal immigrants who've committed multiple crimes, gang members, drug dealers. Does anyone agree with that or disagree with that? Like, where? who's the person that's like, no, we want more illegal immigrant gang members or at least keep the ones we already have like who's down with that <laughs> doesn't matter everyone's all the Hillary supporters have to be against Trump because they already decided he's Hillary stop with hysteria there's no need for it everything's gonna be fine I wanna come back 
with uh, Victor Davis Hanson's advice for Donald Trump. I share it as well with probably the most well-known Latin phrase. Share next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Chris Slater, America's the greatest country in the world. All right, let's get fired up for the future now, right? Enough getting distracted by what's happened. Let's uh, let's think about what where we're headed here. So Victor Davis Hanson uh, is uh, one of the greatest historians today. He specializes in ancient warfare. I uh, actually first heard about him from a professor when I was in college, and it wasn't until like maybe two years ago when I came across his political writings. Like I, I just knew him because I was taking an ancient warfare class, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, the greatest professor in ancient warfare is Victor Davis Hanson." I was like, "All right," uh, and, and I was conservative, and he's one of the few people at National Review who I don't. I don't he wasn't a never Trumper. He wasn't a Trump supporter, but he wasn't a never Trumper, and he would. Write articles um, giving advice to Donald Trump, which is what we tried to do through the last year and a half as well. So he gave some advice now that he won. It's very simple. Um, I think it's probably the the Latin phrase that people know more than any other Latin phrase. Uh, Carpe diem, Mr. Trump, seize the day. I don't know why people know that phrase more than any other. Maybe Dead Poets Society, right? Got Robin Williams to thank for that, but uh, the poem actually, or the, uh, the 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 line there actually comes from a poem by Horace. He's a Roman poet around 30 BC, and the full verse is "Strain your wine." Strain here means um, to taste, to savor, right? St- like focus on your wine, right? It means it means to to focus on the right now, right? Like focus on the moment. Strain your wine and prove your wisdom. Life is short. While we speak, a jealous age will have fled. Seize the day. Trust as little as you can in tomorrow. So strain your wine, like focus on the moment. Life is short. A jealous age will have fled. Right? So the past is behind us. Seize the day today. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, right? Trust as little as you can in tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So don't trust anything in tomorrow because we don't even know what's going to happen. Seize the day now. Carpe actually means to pluck, as in to pluck a piece of fruit from a tree. So Horace is saying that the day today is ripe. Don't wait for tomorrow. Pluck the fruit now. Seize the day today. And Victor Davis Hanson says this should be Trump's transitional guide. Don't wait. Don't wait another day because the attacks will come. Obviously, they already are, and they won't stop no matter what you do. No matter what you do, you will be called a racist and everything in the book. So just go forth anyway. If I can quote from him, he says, of the personal sort, uh, expect more investigative reporting and speaking truth to power op-eds about his tax returns. His supposed theft of the election, his purported investigation of turbulence and mayhem, his locker room talks about women 
his business conflicts of interest in office, Trump University and so on. By the way, on this, on the, I said the day, weeks before the election, I said the day Trump wins, you will see a reinvigoration of the profession of journalism like you've never seen before in your entire life. And it was the next day when a CNN senior editor tweeted out, uh, well, what this country needs more than anything is in-depth investigative reporting. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it didn't take long for you guys to realize your job. Uh, and that's why I said weeks before, I said, if you value honesty, you have to vote for Trump, not because he will be honest but because the press will watch his every move. If Hillary wins, then the press will cover up her lying. So anyway, uh, this will be done to induce bleeding from a thousand tiny Nixon cuts, all designed to reduce his moral authority and thus his ability to ratchet back the progressive decade. Another trope, as we are now witnessing, will be of the hysterical policy brand. Trump will cook the planet, put you all back in chains, conduct war on women, traumatize students, destroy dreamers. All the boilerplate extremism designed to put Trump on the defensive so that he will settle for half an agenda and, and, and reach out to, to, to cement his respectability as a listener before the court of DC fixtures, the campuses, the foundation, the think tanks, the media, the social circles of Silicon Valley and Wall Street, right? So the whole idea will be um, to call him an extremism, extremist so that Trump will will not do everything that, that he promised and people put, voted him to do, but, but to, to half as well. I'm going to reach out to the other side and I'm going to be a listener so, so that I can be well-liked. The siren strategy of the left will be to point out that his future is already destabilizing America. Trump must therefore reach out now to the disaffected who are hurting. Thereby, he will heal the nation, but only if he backs off from right-wing and extremist ideas, like selling coal overseas or building a wall and taxing billions of dollars in remittance from illegal aliens to pay for it. We'll also expect to hear in the next 90 days the idea of executive orders of the Obama type are, in retrospect, dangerous to the Republican destabilizing. Filibusters will again become essential. And we will hear that the Supreme Court, after some rethinking, actually works, uh, works just fine with eight justices for a while. Court nominations will be smeared as extremists and nuts. You get the idea. So, so Victor Davis Hanson is saying, Everything the left is going to do is they're going to try to make Trump. They're going to try to they're going to say things, do things to make him more like Mitch McConnell, right? To encourage him to be more like Mitch McConnell, hoping that by calling him an extremist, he'll become more moderate uh, to, to silence the critics. Or if they say, Trump, you're ruining the nation, then he'll be pressured to heal it by not being so conservative. But Victor Davis Hanson says, no, seize the day, man. He says, if in the first 100 days, Trump can push through tax reform, deregulation, Keystone Pipeline, clean coal, new leases for fracking, and end to crony capitalist cylindra-like subsidies, a cutoff of federal aid to sanctuary cities, support for school vouchers, the wall, deportations of illegal immigrants who committed crimes, plans to rebuild the military, a freeze on federal hiring, trade renegotiations, then surprising things will follow. What kind of surprising things? Uh... The surprising things like people will see that he's right, that we're right, that you're right, that conservative principles and policies are right, 
But we can only prove that if we enact them in the fullest, not a watered-down version of conservatism. We see that watered-down versions of conservatism can't ever get you even elected. Hence the last two elections. We don't need a watered-down version of it. We need the full thing. Now, I don't think Trump is full-on conservative like you and I would want him to be. But he is surrounding himself with really, really strong conservatives, and that's encouraging. So let's encourage them to encourage Trump to seize the day. Do it fully and proudly. I'll end here. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson did. He started, We'll start off with Horace. I will end with uh, Bob Dylan. I mean, he did win the Nobel Prize for Literature, right? So, uh, in Restless Farewell, Dylan says, And the dirt of gossip blows into my face, and the dust of rumors covers me. But if the arrow is straight and the point is slick, it can pierce through dust no matter how thick. So I'll make my stand and remain as I am, and bid farewell and not give a damn. We must go forth. Carpe diem. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Coming up next, I want to uh, disagree with my boss a little bit here, Glenn, on uh, Steve Bannon, or at least on one aspect. I'll do that next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. So we talked about a lot of themes today. Slider Crusaders, I'm glad you're here. Um, let's put it together into, into one very specific story, uh, and that is Steve Bannon. And specifically, so he's Trump's chief strategist now, whatever that means. Um, and he's an anti-Semite, right? So to go back to the fear and the hysteria and and and, and Seneca, we quoted last hour. Um, these unfounded fears and it's like, well, and, and people are too quickly to believe what they hear and says, well, how do you know he's an anti-Semite? Oh, I read it. I read it. I heard it. Facebook. <laughs> like, really? Huffington Post, a white nationalist is the new White House chief strategist. Uh, Steve Bannon, he has his, I think it's national security degree from uh, Georgetown. He got his MBA with honors from Harvard Business. I think 10 years in the Navy, eight years, 10 years, something like that. Uh, and then he went to Wall Street, did that for a little while, started his own production company. And I think we've told the story before. We, um, he, 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 he uh, negotiated the sale of Castle Rock Entertainment. It's a production company. It's the one, is it the one? Hold on. Un momento. Yeah, yeah. It's the one with the, um, with the lighthouse. Right, so it's like before you see a movie or something, there's like a sea, and then there's a lighthouse off in the distance with the moon behind it, and the light from the lighthouse will shine in front of the screen. And it's like a little, it's called classic rock entertainment, right? So he negotiated the sale of Castle Rock Entertainment to Ted Turner, 
And Ted was actually short on cash at the moment. So Bannon said, okay, uh, I'll just take a cut of five TV shows. One of those shows was in its third season. And it was doing relatively well, but it was still early and uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. So he got a cut of Seinfeld. Steve Bannon owns part of Seinfeld. So I don't know what percentage he he owns of it, but let's say it's 1%. Then he's made over $30 million from Seinfeld alone and had literally nothing to do with it, right? Like that, that is a good businessman. Good night. So anyway, uh, raging anti-Semite. Oh my God, unbelievable. Oh, Harry Reid, uh, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, oh, it signals that white, white supremacists will be represented in the highest levels of Trump's White House. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to see why the KKK views Trump as their champion. Esquire says, let us be clear, the hiring of Steve Bannon is exactly the same as hiring David Duke. Please don't normalize this. Exactly the same. So I kept hearing all this stuff, and I said, where are people getting this? Like, where, where is this coming from? Now, if you know any more evidence, I'd love to hear it. Okay, but I found three sources of evidence. One, Steve Bannon called Bill Crystal a renegade Jew. Second, he called a Washington Post columnist, or he wrote, Hell hath no fury like a Polish Jewish American elitist scorned. And his ex-wife said in divorce papers, quote, he doesn't like Jews. So those are the three sources of evidence. Now, I've, I haven't come across any other. And all the websites I find that say he's a raging anti-Semite, if they do provide a link, right, I'll click the link, and then that'll go to another link, another site, and then another site, and then another site, and I'll link, 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 link. And this is all I could have ever come up with. Right? Anyone who ever provides evidence, this is it. These are the three things I got. I'd love to hear more evidence. Okay, now let's roll through these. Let's go backwards. I've never been through a divorce. But I wonder how many things are said in divorce proceedings that aren't true. Also, the renegade Jew remark was not written by Steve Bannon. It was written by David Horowitz, who is also Jewish. And the argument was, his argument was, now listen, as, here's my policy on this show. Every opinion is welcome as long as you have an argument. So Horowitz's argument that was that Bill Kristol was leading a third-party movement so that Trump wasn't going to win, and he felt that that would lead to Hillary's victory, and in his words, whose party has provided a path to nuclear weapons to the Jews' mortal enemy, Iran. And then Horowitz says, I picked the emotional term renegade because I wanted to shock Kristol and his co-conspirators into realizing the gravity of their actions. Now, Horowitz can speak for himself. He's a bit much for me. I don't... Uh, you know, you've listened to the show long enough. I'm not, I'm not like a shock guy. I'm not I'm a writer. I'm not, I'm not one for shock value for shock's sake, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the word renegade Jew just to shock co-conspirators, right? That's not my style, but whatever. It's Horowitz. That's what he wrote, not Bannon. And Horowitz is Jewish. And the other article the other citing that, you know, the uh, hell hath no fury like a Polish Jewish American elite is scorned. Bannon didn't write that either. That was from some other author who called the reporter that. But the author is a Polish Jew himself. 
Wait, what, what, what? So, from those three things, we are supposed to come to the conclusion that Steve Bannon is an anti-Semite? Come on. What are we doing? And it's unbelievable. Like, I'm reading it's like, oh, yeah, don't normalize this. It is David Duke. It's set in stone. You shall not question it. How dare Donald Trump put an anti-Semite in such a prominent position? It's like, what? What are you... It is so interesting how quickly people will believe what they want to believe. And to tie back into uh, the segment from, uh, from earlier, people have already come to the conclusion that Trump is Hitler. They can't let go of that for their own pride, for their own ego. They can't let go of that opinion because then they'll be wrong. So they have to be right. So everything has to fit that. So so Steve Bannon comes up, right? Steve Bannon comes up and, and, and Hillary supporters and all the rest, they say, oh, okay, Trump made a decision on someone. Uh, okay, well, he's bad. We know he's bad. Uh, why is he bad, though? Why is he bad? Why is he bad? Someone find something. Why is Steve Bannon bad? I know he's bad. What, what you got? You got something? Oh, what? Oh, he's an anti-Semite. Perfect. Run with it. Steve Bannon, raging anti-Semite. It's like, that, like, that's how that goes. That's the process. I think I said earlier, my favorite line from Salon is that he's, in, he's a notorious anti-Semite. So now you got all these people coming out who have worked with Breitbart, or worked with um, Bannon, worked at Breitbart, or saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Steve Bannon is as pro-Israel as anyone I've ever met. Alan Dershowitz came out. Okay, Alan Dershowitz came out and said he's not an anti-Semite. What are we doing? Right? But these things just they fly out there. And people just make it up and run with it. I mentioned earlier, but just in passing the um, 30 for 30 Duke Lacrosse uh, documentary. It's called Fantastic Lies. And it's called that because about a year into the case. Do you remember the whole Duke Lacrosse thing, right? Back in 2006. So a year into the case... The first um, one of the accused to speak publicly got up and said, um, we're totally innocent, 100%, and this has been nothing but a bunch of fantastic lies. Fantastic, it literally means um, made up, like imaginary. So just lies that are completely made up. And again, it's so interesting to watch how quickly people will believe something. How quickly people will come to a conclusion based off nothing, and then the extent that they will go to deceive themselves to prove that conclusion right. At the end of the day, the DA of the Duke Lacrosse case was disbarred and put in jail for contempt of course, uh, contempt of court for lying about evidence. The main detective in the case committed suicide. The woman who made the false accusation ended up murdering her husband a few years later, and lives were ruined in the process of, of the accused, all based on lies. And, and the media does a, the, the uh, documentary does a great job of of highlighting how certain everyone immediately was that these students raped the stripper. All the media, the university officials, everyone was certain it happened. A reporter for a local paper uh, wrote a bunch of articles about these lacrosse players accusing them of it. And when it was found that they were all innocent, and not just innocent, but like the whole thing was a total scam. She wrote an editorial apologizing to the families. But no one was ever held accountable for the hysteria. And there's a lot of it going on now. And it's okay because we, again, have to prove everyone wrong. 
prove that conservative principles and policies work. And we have to do it to the fullest. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later. I will wrap up with this. Um, talked a lot today about uh, how nothing good comes from stoking irrational fears and all this nonsense. I don't. Um, hmm. Where to begin? I'll start here. So the Iliad. There's two characters. A ton of characters, but two people I want to talk about here. You got Achilles and Hector. So Achilles was the, the great epic hero, unbeatable in battle other than his heel. Uh, hence your Achilles heel is the one place where you could kill him because his mom, when he, when he was young, picked him up by the ankles and dipped him into the river sticks, made him invincible except for where her hands were covering his ankles. So that's why his ankles never touched that water. So his ankles were the only mortal part on him. So anyway, so Achilles was brave and courageous and would run headfirst into battle and all the rest. Alexander the Great admired Achilles so much that he actually slept with the Iliad under his pillow. I'm not even kidding. Uh, the thing is, Achilles was half God. Hector, on the other hand, was 100% mortal. He was not born with the manliness and the courage of Achilles. He had to learn it, as all humans do. So Hector was defending the city of Troy against the Greeks for nine years. One night, he, he goes home to rest, and his wife was there. And his wife was begging him not to go back. She did not want her husband to go back to war. And there may be some families listening right now who can relate to this in a very real way. She was afraid that he would die, that he's pushed his luck already with nine years And she couldn't take the fear of that anymore. And Hector said, I'm scared of dying too. Right? So, so like Achilles would be someone that's like, I'm not scared of dying. But Hector is like, yeah, I'm super scared. But he responded with this. He said, all this weighs on my mind too, dear woman. But I would die of shame. To face the men of Troy and the Trojan women trailing their long robes. If I shrink from battle now, a coward. Right? So he's like, I, I may die out there, but I will die of shame if I don't fight to defend Troy. And Troy gets overrun and men die and, and women are going to the funeral and all that stuff. Like, I will die a coward. I will die of shame because I will be a coward. I have to go back. But this is the key line. He says, nor does the spirit urge me on that way. Like that, that, that's what I mean. Like, he says, I don't have the natural inclination to go be super brave. Like I, I, the spirit doesn't urge me to go back. I've learned it all too well 
to stand up bravely, always to fight in the front ranks of Trojan soldiers, winning my father great glory and glory for myself. Right? So he would rather die fighting than die of shame. But the key line is I've learned it all too well. Learned what? Learned how to be brave. He's, he's had to learn how to be brave. Why? Because he's human. Achilles didn't have to learn it. Hector did. Right after this moment, Hector's son walks into the room and he sees this man standing there with blood all over him and he doesn't recognize it. It's his dad and he starts to scream. But then Hector takes off his helmet and, and uh, bends over and says, son, it's me. And his son runs over and Hector picks him up and throws him in the air and gives him a bunch of kisses all over his face. Hector was not a, uh, a monster, not a war-hungry uh, animal. He was a caring husband and, and loving father. So I bring this up because very few men, if any, are, and women, are born brave. Very few people are born fearless. You have to learn it. It's a skill you learn. Like swinging a golf club or cooking or I have a five-week-old raising a baby. You learn by doing. I can read a thousand books about having a five-week-old. But the only way to learn how to take care of a five-week-old is to take care of a five-week-old. You can't do it any other way. You learn by doing. And the same is true for being brave. And I wonder if we know this, because if we don't realize this, if we just expect us all to be brave and expect people to be brave, and, or, or bravery is only for certain people in the end, I can't be brave. If we think that, then we'll never teach our kids to be brave. Do we, do we teach our kids to be brave? It's harder today because we have such a comfortable life. We've eliminated all things that would make someone need to be brave. I mean, this is why sports are so important. That's why sports are so powerful, right? Um, because it's, it's symbolic of battle. That's it. Uh, that, that's, that's why people, that's why in our guts, we love sports. It's symbolic of battle, right? And you have to be brave. Now, I, trust me, like I, it's symbolic of battle. It's not actual battle, but it's, we use the same language and the same, similar imagery for uh, the gridiron and the battlefield, right? So even though in sport, which is supposed to be something that prepares you for battle, right? Think thousands of years ago, not today, but thousands of years ago, right? They would play sports to prepare people for battle, right? But now we're even eliminating sports, right? Because everyone wins. I uh, don't keep score, right? All this stuff. I mean, like we're neutering sport, which is supposed to be something that prepares you for something even more important than sport. But the point is brave, right? We're, we're not teaching our kids to be brave anymore. And Look around at a generation of millennials who are so heartbroken that Hillary lost. They don't even know how to handle it. And, and there's so much ginned up fear they can't face it rationally because they're not brave. Piers Morgan, of all people, he wrote this. He said, cheer up, American millennials. I mean, seriously, cheer the blank up. Uh, I, I know you've had a rough week ever since Donald Trump won the election, but it's time to get a grip. Stop crying. Stop taking personal days off work to process what happened. Stop huddling with your equally distraught buddies in Starbucks over your venti iced white chocolate mocha. Stop howling on social media about how unfair life is. 
and how it's the end of the planet as we know it. In short, stop being such a faux-tormented bunch of absolute deluded cretins. You want to know why Trump is going to be your next president? It's because he's what's called a winner. I know it's not cool to be a winner these days. It's become an, it's become an ugly, dirty word in your PC-crazed universe. Far better, the social media millennial mob cries, to be a gallant loser who tries their best but comes up short, like Bernie or now Hillary. To which I say, BS. Winning in life is what it's about. Whether in sports, politics, or simply producing the best decorated pumpkin in your town's Thanksgiving parade, if you don't strive to be the very best at whatever you do, however big or small, then what's the point in doing it, or frankly, even being alive? Why wallow in self-induced mediocrity? You know what you get from self-induced mediocrity? Cowardice. One last line from Pierce. He said, uh, yet this is precisely where so many of America's 80 million millennials enjoy wallowing. And as a result, they have become the most pampered, privileged, and selfish members of the human race in history. Bravery, courage, determination, uh, being able to handle disappointment. These are not innate traits. You learn them like Hector. Or you don't learn them. And I think this is what we see now. 1-888-900-3393. Make sure your kids are like Hector in every way. You don't want your kids to be like Achilles anyway. He's kind of a baby. Very prideful. And really, it's a big baby. You want your kids to be like Hector. 1-888-900-3393. But you got to be intentional about it. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. Hey, Slater percent. So, of all the things, I can't wait for the most out of this Trump presidency. And I hope he does this. Well, I I said last week, I hope he does the VA more than anything first. But the the thing I'm most excited about, for political reasons and personal reasons, is Trump's supposed New Deal for urban renewal. We know know very little about this. But apparently Trump's team gave the website MediaTakeout.com which describes itself as the most visited African-American website in the world. It's like a TMZ kind of website. But Trump's team gave them a 10-point plan on urban renewal, which is brilliant to go to mediatakeout.com because it proves that Trump, and obviously we knew this, but he understands the new world. He understands the new media, right? Trump didn't go to CBS News with his new plan. He went to mediatakeout.com. Now, we don't have it yet, Devil in the details, of course. And we're not going to be sycophantic about it and say everything's wonderful and amazing because it's on our team. But I like that it's even a thing. I mean, did Barack Obama, I mean, I'm I'm being serious. Did Barack Obama ever have a, like an urban renewal plan or like a plan for the inner city? Did Hillary even propose anything like that? I don't think so. This is a potential huge opportunity. We can't blow this. 
We can't blow this. Now, the cynical side of me, because we don't know all the details yet, but the cynical side of me says, okay, a new deal for our cities. Um, all right, what's worst case scenario? I'm thinking maybe uh, a new stimulus package, right? More wasteful spending on, on inner city projects, um, literally and, and, and physically. Maybe government, job, like a government jobs program kind of thing, maybe more welfare spending. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's how we do it in California. Any program that helps the poor, it's just more welfare. It's more government. It's more everything that hasn't worked yet. So what's Trump's plan going to be? Could be that. But you know what we're hearing so far? School choice. More police. And business tax cuts. Now, there's a fourth thing. I only want to focus on those three, but the fourth thing is protections for the African-American church. Now, I'm not sure what that means, but I like the fact that we're even talking about the church, right? When's the last time the church has been a part of the government plan other than Obamacare sticking it to the, the nuns for their contraception coverage, right? So what do we always say on this show? There's three things that everyone wants. I don't care your skin color, whatever. A job, safe neighborhood, and your kid to get a good education, therefore future. That's it. A job, safe neighborhood, future. What are Trump's, what's, what's the three parts of the plan? Business tax cuts, maybe tax holidays for parts of the inner city, get some uh, companies to relocate, okay? A job, safe streets, right? More police, safe streets, law and order. That's what everyone wants. Don't listen to the left's narrative about police in our inner cities. Right? People who live in the inner city want more police officers, not less. Third thing, um, better education, school choice. That'll do it. Think of the potential here. Real quick, just on business tax cuts, what we're hearing is uh, that Trump wants to take the business, the corporate income tax from 35% to 15%, which I don't think is low enough. I don't think it needs to exist at all. But 15% would take it from the highest in the world to the third lowest. Ireland is 12. Switzerland is 8. Canada is also at 15 but basically, we'd be the lowest corporate income tax in the world. If we do that, and I think we should go lower, but if we do that, companies will flood here. They will be, they can't wait to move to America. And like I've, we've said for years, like part of the Tea Party, we've said for years, we want America to be a tax haven for the world. I want a Euro- the European Union to have a, a special session where they talk about what a problem it is that all the great European companies are moving their headquarters from Germany and England and France to America. What are we going to do to keep these companies from moving overseas to America? That needs to be a, what we do. Right? We need to make that meeting happen. Now imagine if Trump says, all right, well, you know what? In certain blighted areas, in certain cities, certain areas, no corporate income tax. Cities will explode with new investment, new investment, new jobs, higher pay, new homes, stronger families, less welfare, less dependency. We'll get more police, we'll have a lower crime rate, school choice, we'll have better schools. Inner cities can be the model for our country. Now think about how this can help the family, right? Right now you got dad in a gang on drugs you got mom single mom at home kid going to a terrible school you get some jobs you get the dad can now provide for the family 
You get some good school choice. The mom will be engaged in kids' education because they actually have a choice about it now. You have safe streets. The families can, can feel safe where they live. This brings the family together. But again, I want our inner cities to be the model for the country. I want the rest of the country to be jealous of our inner cities. So I'm here in San Diego. Uh, the, the, the worst part of town is it's called City Heights. So I want it to be so great in our cities. That when a friend of mine is thinking of moving to San Diego, a place called San Marcos, and they, they said, Slater, how are the schools in San Marcos? I want to be able to say, they're fine, but what you really want to do, City Heights. Like, you got to move to City Heights. It's booming. There's businesses growing there. It's unbelievable. The schools are fantastic. City Heights is where you got to go. Right now, you wouldn't want to drive through City Heights, but I want so badly to be City Heights to be, and every City Heights across the country to be the place to be. And Trump has a plan for that now. Let's keep an eye on it. It's going to be exciting. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Friend us on Facebook, Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We'll see you next week. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.